Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? After that worship, I don't know how you couldn't be doing good. Thanks, worship team, for leading us uh, this morning. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know about Dwayne, how he feels, but I know that I uh, feel much more fortunate to be here preaching this morning than to be riding a bike hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, and I, I think Dwayne might feel similar, um, but they're doing that for a good cause. Uh, this morning, we're going to be returning to our series in the book of Nehemiah. If you weren't here last week, oh man, it was, it was such a rich service as uh, the Montana team came and they, they led the worship service for us. I think most of you were here. This place was, was packed out. We only had one service. It was just a beautiful way to see uh, the way a different culture offers up their worship to God. And I didn't get to sit in on the whole thing. My son was acting up as he usually does. And so I was out in the foyer with him and I was just talking to him as we were watching it on the screen. And I was telling him, I was like, Ezra, look at how big our God is. Our God is so big that he doesn't just receive worship from one language, from one tongue, from one people group. He's the creator of all peoples. And he receives worship from all peoples. And uh, it was just rich and beautiful. Um, I would thank the team. I don't think they're going to be here until the second service. But uh, the Montana team is, has been partnering with us this week in spreading the gospel in the community. And it's just been really good. I'm looking forward to see the fruit that that bears in the future as we continue to press into our community here. Nehemiah. Back to Nehemiah. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Verses 1 through eight. And uh, what, we, what we saw a couple weeks ago was the book of Nehemiah really begin to take a drastic shift, uh, a, a very large change of focus where at the end of chapter six, we saw the completion of the wall. And usually that's what most people think the entire book of Nehemiah is about, this wall. And yet we see it being completed in chapter six. And there's 13 chapters in the book. And so uh, last time I preached, I labored and tried to show how the focus of the book was now changing from the wall to the spiritual condition of the people and their need to be set apart, their need to be holy. And that's where we find ourselves. The text is continuing to move us in that direction of how the people once again begin to become set apart as a holy people living in a holy city. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as we open the pages of chapter 8, we flip the page, the scene that we get is that of Israel, the Jews, in Jerusalem, in corporate worship, specifically with the word of God read, proclaimed, and taught. And we'll see uh, shortly how um, the word of God becomes a central focus in the book of Nehemiah for the change, for the holiness of the people, revealing to us that the primary means that God uses to sanctify, to make holy his people is his word. And so we'll see now that the focus of Nehemiah is shifted to the people and to their spiritual renewal, to their holiness. Uh, if you take out your bulletin insert, I've got an outline here for you. Um, I think the aim this morning as the text uh, unfolds is going to be to understand the role the word of God plays in the holiness of his people and, the, and we'll also see the way his people ought to approach 
and respond to the word of God. Now, this is really a beautiful passage in that we get to see Israel's worship firsthand and the way it unfolded. Uh, and we'll see the beauty of it as we continue on here. Uh, we'll see this in a couple different ways. As you can see on the outline, we'll see that the people of God were captivated by the word of God. Secondly, we'll see that the people were compelled by the word of God. And thirdly, that the people were committed to understanding the word of God. And I think that as we go through here, we will likewise be challenged uh, in a lot of ways by this service of Israel that we will see. So I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 8, and then we'll pray as usual and ask the Spirit to come and aid us this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their he hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Anan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you how it reveals your glory. I pray this morning that your spirit would come and would, would open up our hearts and our minds, make our hearts soft to receive your word and begin the work of transforming us as your word goes out. I pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So before we jump into uh, the people who are being captivated by the word of God, before we jump into the text very closely, uh, I want to show just very briefly how chapter 8 confirms the change of focus that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is now taking. So as I said, the change has now, or the focus has now changed from the rebuilding of the wall to the holiness or the spiritual renewal of the people. One way that we know it, we see this and we understand that this shift is happening is that the wall is not mentioned from back in chapter six until chapter 12, nearly the end of the book when the wall is dedicated. 
So simply the lack of mention of the wall shows that a shift has taken place and that the focus is off of the wall. Uh, The second thing we see just reading through this text is that as I read it, you might have noticed that Nehemiah's name is not mentioned at all. Now, Nehemiah was the head man in rebuilding the wall, but now as as the focus has shifted to the spiritual renewal of the people, who takes the center stage? Ezra, the priest, the one who would be leading the people into holiness, the one who would be reading the law and teaching it to the people. So we see that this shift is taking place, and as I said already, chapter 8 reveals that the primary instrument God uses to make his people holy is his word. And we'll get into some of that as, uh, as chapter 8, verses 1 through 8 unfolds this morning, um, but as it continues on through the remainder of chapter 8, we'll see that in greater fashion, how the word of God is making holy his people. But now as we dive into the specifics of the text, beginning with verses 1 and 2, we see that the people of God desired to hear the word of God. And this is, this is interesting. This is Israel wasn't waiting for the priests, wasn't waiting for Ezra, wasn't waiting for the Levites, the spiritual leaders to come and initiate a worship service, a service where the word of God would be preached and taught, but rather the people themselves go to Ezra and say, bring out the law. Bring out the word. We want to hear the word of God. And just to clarify here, the word that Ezra probably read was not what we have, obviously. It was likely the first five books of the Bible, the the Pentateuch. Um, And that's typically what the Bible refers to when it says the law of Moses. And so we see that the people initiated the reading of the word, but not only that, they were unified in the purpose that they had in worshiping God and in coming to him to hear the word. Uh, Verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So we see those two elements of them being unified in this understanding that at this moment, the word of God taught, preached, was what they needed. They came together as one man and cried out, Bring out the book of the law. And the second thing we see here in this text, moving on, is uh, the all-inclusiveness of the reading of the word as it was on the people. Uh, We see that the text mentions two times that both men, women, and all those who could understand were present in this service. Now, there were a lot of services and feasts and things like that in Israel that only men were supposed to be at, representing their own households. But here we see that it's opened up to women and also, as we would interpret to children, all those who could understand as well. And I think this reveals something of the beauty of the word of God to us and that it is useful not only for us as adults, but also for our children. Ezra, my son, he's coming up on two years old here in about a month and a half, and uh, I'll read to him sometimes at at, uh, our meals or when he's in the bath, anytime I can get him to like sit still um, or have him like locked down somewhere, and I'll read to him, and after a while, I just like, is this even doing any good? Like, 
what am I doing? I mean, he does, he's, two, he's not even two years old yet. He can't understand what I'm reading to him. But we have to remember that the word of God, when it goes out, does not go out in isolation. It goes out with the spirit of God. And surely we wouldn't say that the spirit can't work in a child. And so we see here the usefulness of the word for all ages of people. And this is where we turn to verse three where it gets a little bit more interesting. Uh, I'll read it here. And he, uh, Ezra, read from it, the book of the law, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men, the women, and all those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were captivated by the book of the law. We see this in a couple different ways. Obviously, the attentiveness that they showed to the book, but the time frame in which this service took place is rather interesting. It says that Ezra began to read the word early morning until midday. And that's about a six-hour period of time. Usually for a lot of us, the hour, maybe hour and a half we get here at church on Sunday morning is quite enough for a week. These people were captivated by the word of God. They couldn't get enough. They wanted more. And throughout the duration of the six-hour period, the six-hour service, all of the ears of the people were attentive to the book, to the reading and explanation of it. What attention do you pay to the word of God? Is the reading and study of the word something that your time and attention is given to? When you engage in reading the Bible, when you engage in study, are you attentive to it? Are you focused? Are you locked in? You know, I think that there's two primary things that keep us from being captivated by the word of God. The first is is simply a lack of understanding of how to read and study the word. It's really hard to understand. It's not easy. It's not just like pick it up and we'll just read it and we'll just understand it. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in understanding it and a lot of us don't understand how to do that. But the second thing that I think keeps us from being captivated from the word and is probably more likely in most of our cases is sin, is callousness of heart to God's word and to the things of God. You know, I experienced both of these things in my life. Uh, before I was converted, I grew up in a Christian family, um, and so we went to church, and we were told to read the word, and so I read the word. I wasn't actually converted until I was about 19, and so all these years that I read the word, I would open up its pages, and I would read it, and it, it was boring. It, it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't have a desire to read the word or to know the things of God, and as a result, as I opened it up, was boring and then God was gracious enough to convert my soul and to place within me a desire to know his word and so I go to the word and I pick it up and I'm eager to understand the things of God now and I I want to understand and I want to read it and I open it up and I'm like what in the world is going on here I have no idea what this is talking about and so for 
Some years I was frustrated with my reading and study of the word because I didn't understand how to read it. I didn't understand how to study it, though I had a desire to. And then God saw fit to send me to college where I learned how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible and the beauty of it came alive to me. And now when I read the word, I'm, I'm captivated by it. It stirs my soul to worship God. But there's still times when sin creeps its ugly head in my life and I put the word of God down and I don't want to read it. But in these times, the answer is not to forego reading the word of God, but rather to dive deeper into it if, like I think the scripture is telling us, it is the means by which God clears out that sin in our lives. And so it's really easy for us when we open the word, when we're being callous uh, to the word by sin, and yet we open it and we find it to be boring, we find it to be uninteresting, and then we're just really tempted to just put it down. Dive deeper into the word and pray that the spirit would come and remove your callousness of heart in relation to it. So we see that the people were captivated by the word of God given their attentiveness to the word for the duration. Six hours this service went on. And verses one through three here form um, what most commentators believe a summary of the entire service of the entire day as it unfolded. And so as we go from four through actually 12, which Dan will be preaching nine through 12 next week, I'll be handling the rest of uh, through eight. So the rest of the day is now drawn out in the specifics of how it happened. And so we understand that for the entire day, the people were attentive to the book of the law. And now we'll begin to see the specifics of how it captivated them and what it compelled them to do. We'll see this beginning in verse four. Verse four says this, the beginning. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose, and then we see yet again the list of names. I know it really tickled you guys to hear me say all those, but I'm not going to do it again. Um, These men were standing beside Ezra, likely helping him read the word. And so we see that he was standing on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And so from this, I draw that the word of God compelled the people of God to submit to God. Well, how do we get that? He was just simply standing elevated on a wooden platform. Now we understand the practical matters in which this would have had on the people. Like uh, obviously it's a large group of people and so uh, the person reading and teaching from the word needs to be elevated so uh, they can see him and also so that he can, his voice can project. You know, they didn't have speakers like we have. Uh, They needed to be able to project their voice and so elevating them up would have done that. But I think that something more is going on here when it talks about the word of God being elevated above the people of God. Ezra, the one bringing the word, was lifted up. And you see in the structure of most churches, well, what do we have here? Well, we have a stage leading up to where the word of God will be read, where the word of God will be preached. Now, there's a very practical sphere of that which I already talked about you need to be able to see the person you need to be able to hear them well but what does 
the reality of the word of God being elevated over the people say visually about its authority over the people. I believe that having the word of God raised above the people in this instance and every Sunday as we come and we hear the word taught and we, and we hear it read and we hear it preached, that it's a visual reminder of us of its authority over our lives. And by being willing to sit under it, you show your submission to it in a way. Uh, I remember the first time that I went to a church service in a movie theater, um, and by this story, I'm not trying to say that uh, having a church service in a movie theater is wrong. Um, let me make my point here. Uh, so we went, and we obviously, a, a movie theater is quite the opposite of what you see here. The people are raised up, and, and the stage is really down low, and you have the screen behind you. And I remember as I was sitting there hearing the word, I don't know, for some reason the Spirit impressed this upon me. As I was hearing the word preached, we as a congregation sitting above the word, it felt really weird. It felt really strange for us, God's people, to be elevated above the word as if we were authoritative over it and not the other way around. I don't know if you've ever been to a service like that or been in a church where the architecture is a little bit different, but that was something interesting that I, that I felt and it, it just felt awkward. I felt like this, this isn't the right way to do it. I don't know if that was just tradition or what I was used to, but I think that there's something to be said for the word of God visually being elevated above the people, revealing its authority and therefore their submission to it as they heard it preached. So what does it practically look like for us to submit ourselves to the word of God? What does that look like on a practical sphere, everyday, uh, everyday life as we go about our lives? Well, first and foremost, do you acknowledge that the word of God is authoritative over you as a Christian? Do you acknowledge that what's written on these pages are the very word of God to you? And when you study the word, are you actively looking for ways to conform to its commands? Because true submission isn't expressed in us just sitting under the word, but it's acting in light of the truth of the word. When you take things into your mind, do you analyze them based on the truth of Scripture? Uh, do you have this uh, biblical lens through which you see your entire existence? The reason you exist, your job, how you interact with your spouse, how you lead your children, what you do with your children, how you teach them, what you teach them. The things that you think, the things that you say, the things that you do. Are they all informed by the word of God. This is what it looks like for God's people to be submitted to his word. And as we'll see as the day unfolds in later sermons, but a bit here as well, that this happens to the people. They submit to the word and they begin to, to act on what they see commanded in it. Secondly, we see that the word of God compelled the people of God to revere God, to show reverence for him, verse five. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. We see that again. And as he opened it, all the people stood. So as Ezra began to open the scroll, it was a scroll that didn't look like this. So he's unrolling the scroll and all the people can see it. The people are compelled to stand to their feet. What does that tell us? Uh, How many of you were at the Johnny Appleseed parade yesterday? Oh, not a whole lot of you. Okay, some of you. How many of you have ever been at a sporting event where they sang the national anthem before the sporting event? All of you, I'm sure, right? As I was watching uh, the parade begin to come down the road, something interesting really happened. Um, The first people to walk out were people with the American flag. And as the... uh, parade began to come down the road with the fire engine leading the way and the the army men holding the American flag, people on both sides of the roads, nearly everybody, as it came, began to stand to their feet. Do we not do that when we read the national anthem as well? Will everybody please stand to your feet as we read or as we sing the national anthem? Why? Why were these people compelled to rise to their feet as the American flag was going by? Why are we compelled to rise to our feet when the national anthem is read? There's nothing special about a giant piece of cotton with stars and red and white uh, colors on it, is there? Well, no, it's, it's what that flag and that anthem represents. It represents the giving of people's lives for our freedom. And so we stand in honor and respect of those people, in reverence to those people who have given us what we have. This is very much the same thing that's going on here in this service. You see, the people of God understood that what was being opened before their very eyes was not just a piece of parchment with ink on it. They understood that what was about to be read was the very authoritative word of God. That it was the representation of the God of the universe. And so they were compelled to rise to their feet in reverence for the word. Does the word of God compel you to revere him? You know, I think one of the primary ways we can gauge our reverence for God is by looking at the time and attention we pay to his word. One of the primary ways we gauge our reverence for God is showing the time and attention we pay to his word. Do we have a reverence for God that is informed by the word of God? Third, the people of God were compelled by the word to worship God. Verse six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When I read through this, I was thinking, what did they hear what did they hear read? What did they, what did they hear said by Ezra that compelled their hearts to worship God? I think the text 
uh, gives us a couple pointers. The first is Ezra says that Ezra blessed the Lord, the what? The great God. And so we see in general that it was upon contemplating the nature and character of God that he is great that stirred their hearts to worship, but I think that the text gives us even a little bit more detail as to the particular points of God's nature which stirred their hearts to worship. Ezra uses the phrase, the Lord, two times in all caps, and uh, whenever you see the the name, the Lord, in all caps in the Old Testament in scripture, uh, the name that's being used there for God is Yahweh. And this is really significant because it shows us where their hearts were pointed when they bowed and worshiped to God. Now, for us to hear Yahweh, it probably doesn't mean that much, but to a Jew, Yahweh is the covenant personal name of God to his people. And so when you hear the name Yahweh, when when we see in the text that it says that they worshiped Yahweh and they bowed their heads and worshiped Yahweh, what would have been going through their minds upon hearing this would have been God's gracious dealings with them and his promises and his redemption of them back at the exodus from Egypt. When God redeemed them from slavery and gave them an identity as a people, as his people, his chosen people. That's what their minds and their hearts would have gone to. Their redemption and identity in Christ, his gracious dealings with them from the beginning. The word of God reminds God's people of their identity, who God has made them, which draws their hearts into worship. You think about the difference in what the Jews knew of God, which what Ezra was opening up was likely, as I said, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they maybe had a little bit more at this point. And what we know of God, having the entire canon, Old and New Testament, everything they had and so much more, you see, they understood their redemption, but only in part. They understood their identity in God, but only in part. They were continually looking forward to what we now possess. Namely, the full revelation of our redemption and identity in Christ. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Thank you. We understand fully the redemption that we have. They, they didn't understand, they didn't get to see that God would send his own son in the flesh to die for us, to take the wrath of God for us, that we might be hidden in him, having our identity not on our own, but giving us full purpose in life, being hidden in Christ. And so with this knowledge, how much more should we be compelled to worship our Savior? We see these people bowing their faces before God, understanding the redemption that they had, and yet we have it in in such a more beautiful and full light, seeing it all fulfilled in the person of Christ. Does the word of God compel you to worship. And we see here 
most likely what captivated the people for six hours. Recalling their redemption and their identity in the God that chose them. The word of God captivates the people of God. It compels them to submit to him, to revere him, and to worship him. And lastly, we see that the people of God were committed to understanding the word of God. Verse seven, we see a list of the names of the Levites now who are responsible for teaching the law, and we'll pick it up uh, after the names. It says, the Levites, these men who are just named, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so we see here that the people were willing to be taught by the Levites. As I said in in previous sermons, the Levites were the people who were responsible for leading uh, the lay people into worship. They were responsible for the temple, the sacrifices, the word of God, understanding the word, interpreting the word, teaching the word. So these were essentially the pastors in Jerusalem. And so we see that they're given the responsibility to teach the word to the people, and the people come to them understanding their need for help in grasping the word and understanding the God of which it speaks. Now this sense of humility coming with a sense of our need to, or our need for help in understanding the word uh, does not come easy for most of us. Now I have a lot of books and uh, I think that sometimes people misunderstand why I have a lot of books. I love books, and I think that people uh, often think that, man, he's really smart because he has a lot of books. But really, the reality is I have a lot of books because I need people's help to understand the things that I'm reading in the Word. I have a lot of books because I'm not that smart. This is the spiritual posture that we should bring to the reading and studying of God's word, namely one of humility and understanding our need for help in grasping the things of God. It is when we come to scripture with a heart of humility, understanding our need, that God is most pleased to reveal himself to us. God isn't interested in revealing himself to some arrogant fool who thinks he understands God fully and can grasp his word fully. He's interested in revealing himself to people who humbly come to the word saying, God, I need you. I can't get this on my own. Spirit, come, reveal to me the truth of the word. Brother, help me understand. The people were willing to be taught by the Levites, revealing their humble attitude towards their need for God. And then we also see that the people were committed to the hard work of understanding the word. I'll point back to the duration of the day, six hours. We don't see people, though it's possible that it would have happened, it's not recorded in the text. We don't see people saying, I'm done with this. This is too hard to understand. You know what, I don't even need your help. I get this on my own. You know, it's been a really long day. I'm ready to go home now. I'm not gonna stick around for the remainder of it. 
we see a deep hunger and thirst for God that the Jews here could not get enough and that they were committed to doing the hard work of understanding the word. When I was in college, I, uh, we would obviously have long days where you'd have like four classes or something. All of them were two or three hours a piece. There were days when I would go home and my head would just be throbbing because understanding the word and the things of God is hard to do. We must be people who are committed, who are thirsty, who are hungry for the word. And on the whole, as I was looking at this day, I was asking myself, what was the desired result? What was the desired result that the Levites were wanting to see? What was the desired result of the people? I believe that the desired outcome was holiness, was obedience to the word of God. I believe that's what they wanted to come about. And we see that it will Come. To summarize, believers ought to be captivated by the word of God. The word of God compels his people to submit to him. The word of God compels his people to revere him. The word of God reminds his people of their redemption and identity which should compel them to worship him. The people of God should approach the word of God with a sense of their need for him. And lastly, the word of God is the instrument that God uses to make his people holy. Now we don't see any mention of the spirit here. And so it's vital that we bring in an element of the New Testament which is is not mentioned here. And I mentioned it earlier that, that when the word goes out, when we study the word, when the word is preached, when it is read, it does not go out in isolation. It goes out with the power of the spirit to transform hearts behind it. We see this in the New Testament. John 17, 17 says this. Jesus is praying to his father, sanctify them, uh, God's people, in the truth. Your word is truth. The sanctifying nature of the word we see here in this text. 2 Thessalonians two thirteen says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So we see the element of the Spirit being involved in the sanctification of his people. And these two things come together to transform God's people. As we are in the word and as we are relying on the Spirit to work in us, he begins to transform our hearts through the truth of the word making us a holy people. If we desire to be made holy, which every Christian should, we must be a people who are committed to the word and reliant upon the spirit to transform us through that word. Before you open the word and read it or study it, you should be crying out to the spirit 
Spirit, tear down the biases in my heart and in my mind. Tear out the callousness that would keep me from being captivated and be, keep me from submitting to your word. We need to be reliant upon the Spirit to move in us when we approach the word of God. And as we see Nehemiah begin to unfold, we'll see the word of God and how it works in the life of its people. And I'm praying that we will be crying out for the Spirit to come and to reform us, to draw us to repentance as the word of God is opened up, as it is preached, and as we study it together. Pray with me. Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would tear away the sinful callousness in our hearts to your word. Tear away those things that would keep us from being captivated by the beauty of our redemption and identity in Christ. Tear those things away that that would keep us from submitting to your word. Spirit, come and, and captivate our hearts through the word of God. Compel us to submit to you. Compel us to revere you compel us to worship you help us to understand our need for you when we come to the word spirit come and transform us into the image of the son through the word i pray lord that you would be pleased to do this i pray this all in your name lord jesus amen